0: Hi, Dave. How are you?
1: I'm well. Always nice catching up with you. Michelle, let's start with a story that emerged on Friday. Nunavut declared a state of emergency. What's happening with the water shortage in Iqaluit?
0: Yeah, uh, some of you may remember that there was a water issue with Iqaluit last year sometime. Uh, That had to do with a busted tank in the city itself in Iqaluit. This is a different situation. This is more of a climate change-related one. What's happening there now is that one of the main arteries that feeds Lake Geraldine, which is the primary water water reservoir for a Iqaluit, is at the lowest level it's been at for 40 years. And if it stays this way and water levels don't improve, they won't be able to get enough water into Lake Geraldine before the river freezes over for the season. So that's a bit of a problem, as you can imagine. And this is why uh, last week, Actually, no, sorry, the week before, it, the city of Akalawit declared a state of emergency, and then on Friday, the territory of Nunavut followed suit. And now what it's trying to do is finding a way to get, get these permits and all kinds of regulatory hoops to jump through, but they're seeking permission basically to start funneling more water into that other artery that feeds like Geraldine in order to get the water levels up
1: is there any sense of like what that what that plan looks like is that is that uh is that tankers is that jets what what is what is moving water from one source to another look like or a Great diversion question. look like
0: It's quite a good question, and I don't have a lot of answers at this point. Um, One of my colleagues was chasing this all weekend and hoping to get some answers. Uh, They're under a two-week time frame, so the the turnaround has got to be relatively quick in political terms. Uh, But we weren't able to get any answers, and we don't have any new developments to report at this point. But uh, you better believe that CP will be watching this one very closely. Yeah,
1: following along on this one very, very closely for sure. Michelle, let's turn to another story. It's about stigma surrounding mental health treatment using psychedelics. But let's start. What's the background on this?
0: Yeah, so the background on this is that psychedelics, drugs of all kinds, as a lot of us knew growing up with messaging in the war on drugs era, um, that was a big part of my childhood messaging for sure, Uh, that was a pretty blanket message that covered all kinds of drugs uh, and and took them all sort of as as one main thing, so stimulants, opioids, psychedelics, uh, all kinds of things were kind of lumped in together. There's now a bit of a pushback on this and a lot of researchers are saying, you know what, this was this was faulty messaging back in the 60s before the war on drugs campaign really kicked off. There was a lot of interesting research being done on efforts to, decrim- excuse me, to, to use psychedelics to treat things as, re- as diverse as depression and anxiety and, and addictions and a number of things. And they're saying that they're hoping to see this kind of thing come back, um, to have that research pick up again, and to also reduce some of the stigma around psychedelics themselves. And where they're getting uh, some hopeful messaging on that is because of a pilot project that I believe we've talked about on the show before in BC, where they're going to try and decriminalize certain quantities of drugs uh, that are for recreational use. There's like hard number limits on what those possession limits would be, but that is something that's gonna get underway early next year. So they're hoping that because of efforts like the BC pilot projects and some of the other conversations happening, uh, people might take a bit more of an interest in psychedelics and their other purposes.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of research going on in British Columbia. There's research happening in Nova Scotia and Montreal, particularly mm-hmm. around uh, the use of mushrooms as a mental health and medic- and medicinal tool. But Michelle, I always think when we talk about any kind of drug story and stigma, the fact is there's just a portion of the population that's always going to have that stigma and you kind of just need to push through without them.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean... It, <laughs> It's it's always a a tricky issue. There's a lot of discourse on on drugs and drug use. And it goes beyond psychedelics even too, right? Like all conversations that have been happening around harm reduction sites, a lot of that has to grapple with, with stigmas that have taken very firm root in recent decades. Yeah. But you're right. There's a ton of really interesting research, not just in Canada, but internationally around the use of psychedelics for mental health and addiction treatments. Um, And if anyone wants to have an interesting read on this, I could recommend uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan is a good one. He takes a deep dive into the history of it and and some personal uh, anecdotes as well.
1: (laughs) Speaking of interesting reads, your colleague Bob Mm -hmm. Weber put out a really neat article yesterday. So let's finish up here with an energy story. He really did. It's an energy story looking... Uh, it's, it's it's an energy story about looking for new energy sources. Yes. So what are researchers <laughs> in BC doing with
0: volcanoes? Uh, Bob Weber, for those who don't know, is a longtime CP veteran whose who's jam basically is taking science stories and writing them in a really accessible way. And this article is a great example of this. What's gonna happen is with a volcano called Mount Cayley, Uh, it's in BC, it's not that far from Whistler, and it's technically part of the same chain of volcanoes as Mount St. Helens and some other better known ones outside of Canada. What scientists are hoping to do is perform what they're basically directly comparing to a CAT scan on this volcano. They wanna use a number of techniques to try and get a sense of what this volcano is like inside and outside. And then they want to be able to harness that for geothermal energy, uh, because apparently, I didn't know this, uh, Canada has a number of geothermal energy exploration efforts underway, but it's the only country uh, in, in a certain group of it that isn't actually producing any yet. So they're hoping that with Mount Cayley, with this volcano CAT scan, as they're calling it, they might get closer to doing that. It's it's tricky when you're working with volcanoes to try and harness energy, uh, yeah. right? Your accuracy, yeah, like your accuracy needs to be really good. Um as a point of comparison, the, the, science, the main scientist that Bob interviewed for this article was saying that they need to have about a fifty percent success rate with this kind of thing uh, as, as a target, mm-hmm. whereas oil and gas uh, only need to be right one in seven times. So. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting point of comparison there. So they're, they're hoping that by doing this CAT scan, they'll have a much better sense of where to target their efforts and really maximize their success rate with that drilling.
1: This story fascinates me uh, on so many levels. One, from purely a facetious point of view, uh, let's not anger the volcanoes. Last thing we need to do is to wake up <laughs> dormant volcanoes. That's number one. Number two, can't we just wait to go to a gas station and fill our car up with lava? Like, this is going to be exciting <laughs> times, you know? These Forget these electric car charging stations. We have <laughs> lava stations now.
0: It's so funny. I, a lot of people, according to the scientists, and I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but a lot, there is a bit of a perception there isn't much volcanic uh, activity in Canada. Mm-hmm. And... Perhaps there isn't. I mean, Mount Cayley itself has actually, you talked about dormancy. It's been dormant since the 1700s. (laughs) So it's been a while since it produced any, but there's still a ton of heat. So I I don't know. I mean, if, if they're sitting on these untapped resources... Yeah, Maybe it's worth taking a yeah. closer look and seeing <laughs> what we can do.
1: Although we're just learning uh, some of the consequences of drilling for fossil fuels for all this year. I can only imagine the, uh, the conversations people are going to have in 150 years when it's like, why were you drilling for lava? Why were yeah. you drilling for lava? You decided to go even deeper, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, anyway, no, I'm, I'm being facetious because well, I think any of these kind sure. of renewable projects are really interesting ideas. And the article that Bob wrote was phenomenal, and it was it was trending on some of the big social, uh, some of the big news sites yesterday. I think it was like the sixth or seventh story down on CTV dot uh, ca, so it, cool. it definitely got a lot of traction yesterday.
0: Yeah, no, Bob has a real skill for for. Boiling these science concepts and projects down into really plain, clear language is—it's it's great to see. Um, and, and it's worth noting that, like, there's—we're no, not even close to the drilling stage yet. So the CAT scan really, really is the preliminary step uh, that will perhaps then determine whether or not they even go ahead with it. Michelle, but the very fact that they can perform a CAT scan on a volcano was kind of wild.
1: It's like, very cool. Well, Michelle, thank yeah. you for having a segment that was overflowing with information.
0: What, what. An, eruption
1: <laughs> pleasure, An eruption of news. An eruption of news with Michelle McQuig. We will, and I'm out. And you're gone. Bye Michelle. Talk to you on Friday.
0: <laughs> Have a great week, everybody.
1: You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review.